Hello, and welcome to the Roundup. My name is Nick Saba, and I am your host this wonderful Friday afternoon. I'm here with a few guests. I'm Ashley Zhao, Futures Reporter from the State News. I'm Nathan Stearns. I am a beat reporter for Focal Point News, and obviously I'm also the sports direct, sports broadcast director here at Impact 89FM, so familiar scene here in Studio H. My name is Jacob Zokvik. I am a staff writer for The Lookout, the student newspaper at Lansing Community College. And today, I wanted to start our conversation uh, actually bringing up a topic that we've talked about on this show before is the Oxford shooting that happened, uh, I mean, a couple months ago now. The parents of the, uh, the, the school shooter were recently just charged with involuntary manslaughter in terms of them being basically guilty for what the the, the crimes that their child has committed. Um, and this is a, a fairly unprecedented case. There isn't a lot of, of t- uh, previous cases of parents being held responsible uh, for a lot of their children's actions, but a lot of text messages have come forth, and there's a decent amount of evidence that kind of shows they were a bit neglectful. So what do you guys, have you heard anything about this? Um, do you have opinions on if parents should be held responsible? Um, I, I, I would say that it's definitely something that I've never heard of. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I'm not an expert on school shootings, but I've, I've done my share of reading the news about them and I've definitely never heard about it. I think the conversation that is often had is a parent saying something like, we had no idea. Um, and this kind of sounds like a case of they had a bit of an idea. They kind of knew their kid was in a bad spot. And they didn't help him, and they may have even contributed to his negative impressions of society and stuff like that. And, you know, manslaughter is such a strange sort of legal uh, a term that gets used to assign blame without fully assigning blame. You know what I mean? Manslaughter versus murder. But... This is one of those cases where, like, in my opinion, it it seems like they were particularly uh, failing to be the parents that, like, society expects them to be and to prevent things like this from happening. Because at a certain point, like, a parent's responsibility is to prevent their children from hurting others. You know what I mean? That's kind of a not a normal thing that a parent has to deal with all the time. But, you know, it's no different than being four years old on a playground or whatever. You know what I mean? It's you have to look out for your child's mental health. And when they're not only just ignoring the problems but potentially making it worse, kind of seems to me like, yeah, they might deserve that manslaughter charge. I couldn't agree more myself. I When you are a parent and when you have so many distinct signs that something is for lack of a better term, a little off with your kid when your kid is writing on pieces of paper that says the thoughts won't stop and is drawing pictures of guns and then he's texting his mother about, hey, I got caught, and then she says, ha-ha, you have to learn not to be caught. There was another report that came out by the Detroit Free Press yesterday, and Ethan Crumbly was talking to his father about how he was having these mental health issues, about how he really thought he needed help, and his father told him to suck it up. So 
I pulled up the definition of involuntary manslaughter in Uh the state of Michigan. And I think the prosecution is going to try to go for the third, the, the third sort of bullet point. And it is created a situation where the risk of great bodily harm or death was very high, knowing that as knowing that as a result of the defendant's actions, Ethan Crumbly, the 15 year old, he or she knew that serious harm or death would likely result. And I think with that third bullet point, you have a very, very strong case because he had a meeting the day of that shooting, the school counselor, the principal brought the parents in and brought him in basically saying, there's something really wrong. Your kids need help. And his parents pushed and pushed and pushed for him to go back to school. And if it's true that before he got the gun over Christmas that he had mental health issues and they gave him the gun anyway, yeah, this is pretty, I don't want to say pretty open and shut, but definitely a lot of warning signs and a lot of red flags for James and Jennifer Crumbly. Yeah, I agree. I think you two already have said a lot of what I agree with. Um, I think... I don't know, um, parenting, especially with social media now and technology, um, you might not know what your kid is doing, right? But I think in this case, it was quite obvious, like you said, about how their parents were brought in and their child was having drawings about their thoughts and these things that their kid couldn't control. Um, I think one thing that we might not consider is maybe the parents have something too that we don't know, or mm-hmm. maybe they, their parents did something to them too, and that might be relayed onto their child. And so that's something that is a possibility, but obviously um, I, I don't know much about mm-hmm. that. But if yeah. the if the child's suffering from some level of mental health problem, there's a pretty decent bet that the parents are as well. You know what I mean? It's it all it all flows down, and and you know that's not always fair. You know there are a lot of people that are very very different from their parents and stuff and that don't suffer from the mental health issues of their parents. But there's absolutely something to be said about, you know, we see the pattern over and over that abusive relationships breed abusive relationships. And it's the same sort of thing where it's like, if you're just showing this kid violence and anger and stuff, then that's all he's going to know, you know? And that's part of the problem with these situations is it's so hard to look at, like, the mental health aspects that sort of bring them about. And that's, uh, you know, a, probably something that's very important to look at for preventing them in the future. Well, and I think you have to remember, too, part of the testimony, his mother was having an affair. His father had extramarital affairs. They weren't on the happiest relationship from a romantic aspect either. And then when the police in the Oakland County Prosecuting Office wants to bring them in, they flee to Detroit. So... The old the old standing of if you have nothing to hide, why are you running away thing would seem to imply. So, yeah, I think they're definitely in a deep, deep world of hurt. Mm-hmm. And the worse they look, the better it makes Ethan Crumley look. Let's be honest about yeah. that. If, if they can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's a minor, that he had severe, severe, severe mental issues, he had suicidal thoughts, thoughts of harm, you know, th- these really dark things, and he kept requesting to his parents, I need help, I need help, I need help. That falls more on the parents than it does as a 15-year-old kid who really can't control his own health care decisions. And I think we're probably heading toward, you know, without being in the courtroom, I think we're most likely heading toward a verdict with him where he might be found not guilty by reason of insanity. Mm-hmm. There will be a lot of precedents set in this case. And both in the case of the parents being indicted, but also the the, the kid being shown in kind of a different light. There, it's incredibly tragic. Mm-hmm. 
on on every way you look at it. And uh, frankly, there's blame to be put in a lot of different places. The jury's going to decide, and I'm very excited to to kind of keep my eye on this case and see what it kind of holds for the future. Um, I do want to kind of switch gears a little bit, um, kind of kind of change it, uh, go a bit more more lighthearted. Um, but if you'd feel free, Ashley, to take it away. Yeah. So um, for our most recent print issue, it was the Spring 22 Housing Guide that we do every semester. Um, and I wrote the centerpiece article, um, which is kind of the article that was put on Spotlight for it. Um, and basically, my pitch was thinking about a little bit of my experience and my current roommates because we met on Facebook as well. Um, and some stories I've heard also of maybe not the best situation, right, from students that have met online through Facebook as roommates. And so because of that, I just wanted to put a more positive light on it and uh, really see students that have met online, were able to connect online, and how now in person they were able to become really good friends, good roommates, and to continue living together in the future. So I, I just interviewed um, two pairs of students um, and just kind of talked about their experience. Um, so I don't know if you guys have any bad experience with your roommates or have heard stories as well. It's, it's actually kind of funny. In, in my own experience, um, I've seen and, and had a lot of friends that that came to school and roomed with people that they knew and roomed with people that they liked. And more often than not, that usually leads to pretty strong tears in the friendship. It's really difficult to live with people, no matter who that is. Um, and anyone who has siblings can probably attest to that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and living with someone that you like it puts a strain on a relationship. I, I actually think going in blind and going in uh, with the mindset of I want to meet new people and and uh, understand things from different perspectives mm -hmm. is kind of the way to go, uh, almost in every situation. Well, and at a certain point, you can accept the fact that, like, okay, I'm living with this person. They don't need to be my friend. And I know that's kind of super lame. But uh, it's uh, very common. You know, there's a ton of people that get thrown in random dorms, and they just got to deal with it for a year, and they'll barely even talk to the person, but uh, they make it work. Well, see, I'm in a little bit of a different boat than both of you here. Nick, as you know, Luke Sloan, my really good friend who I went to high school with, we've roomed together for four years, and it's been really, really good. And, you know, in just my own personal experience, I obviously work with the guy it, it's more important to me to have someone that you have matching values, ma matching. You you guys like doing the same thing. Obviously, we both love sports. He's the sports director, and I, you know, help out on the sports team. We both have this a similar sense of humor. So, you know, just in my experience, we lived, we were at Rather Hall. We were in the Brody neighborhood. We were in Armstrong, and then we spent the last two years over at over at Beale Street. So, you know, ever since that uh, fall semester of 2018, it's been really small really smooth sailing for him and I and I, but I have heard from a lot of other people that you can be really really good friends with someone but it's the thing it's the things like the guy hogging the TV all the time without really even realizing it or stealing the food or not doing the dishes or yeah. not cleaning up your mess that kind of stuff 
And I think I just, I, I personally looked out with a roommate who's very similar to me in the fact that we, you know, we clean up after ourselves. We, you know, don't hog everything. I don't bust into his pantry and just start stealing stuff. And, you know, you, you'd be surprised how often that happens, though. I've got a perspective here is that I've never had a roommate uh, and I've been going to college for quite a long time. Um, I lived with myself in an apartment for two years and it was extremely expensive and I didn't make any friends. And uh, that was super lame. It uh, it definitely limits your ability to sort of meet people, especially, you know, I had an apartment off of campus. Um, but uh, past that, got to tell you, it was real awesome not having to deal with anybody else's uh, stuff. Which is, uh, un, you know, a trade-off. Like I said, I really kind of wish I'd have maybe done something a bit different so I could have met people. And uh, that's a bit of a regret of mine. But it's it's having been there living on my own, I can tell you, it's very tempting. It's a very nice to not have to deal with people's problems. So I have now lived uh, with both roommates and on my own. Um, and it is very different. Um, it's, it's definitely, it's good to, and I... I I, you know, my first year here on campus, uh, I got, I went in random, got a random roommate whose name also ended up being my own name. We were both Nicks in the same room, but, uh, I met a lot of my friends that year. I met a lot of my friends through my roommate, but if I had to pick, ah, living alone is really nice. (laughs) Um, not having to worry about other people and not having to worry about the things that I do having an effect on someone, either positive or negative, is just kind of freeing and relaxing. And there are people I know that completely disagree with me and mm-hmm. hate living alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it's just, it comes down to me being kind of in an uh, introverted person when it comes down to the end of the day. I think maybe the perspective that I would say is that you know what, maybe living on your own is something for a junior and senior year. You know what I mean? <laughs> maybe try out the dorms or whatever. I don't, I don't know what's going on in MSU right now. I'm sorry, I'm not a student. But, uh, yeah, uh, obviously, like, as far as LCC goes, we um, we have some programs that help people find roommates. But there are no proper, like, for average students, there are no proper dorms or anything. So uh, it's, it's not a conversation that actually gets had a lot in my neck of the woods. I think... Um... Actually, through my interviewing, I learned a lot on these two pairs of roommates and how they were able to work together as roommates. Um, I think I also, I also live with my roommate that I met on Facebook, and it's been it's been okay. Um, but I think I've learned mostly that although we come from these very different backgrounds, different upbringings, that um, it's important to learn to have some like a leeway, like a little bit of, oh, you do something different, that's okay, and kind of understand that. Um, I think before I was very, uh, oh, I like it this way, I like to put my salt here or something, something random like that that might tick off something someone else. The forks don't go next to the spoons. (laughs) Exactly. Like There's so many many little things I could add up, but I think um, through living together for the past semester and uh, we've just been able to kind of understand each other's differences and then also these two pairs of roommates, they were really, um, really good about understanding uh, where each other's limits are and kind of communicating especially, open communication always, being open about what's bothering you because if something is bothering you and you're not talking about it, it's going to continue to bother you until eventually maybe it blows up and something even worse could happen, right? So. It's all about communication and compromise, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, I'd like all relationships, yeah. mm-hmm. all human interaction. <laughs> um, so if you guys are okay with it, we'll continue on to our next topic here. Nathan, feel free. All right, so we just got done with our weekly Focal Point newscast show. I was actually out live over between MAC and East Grand River, right by where the Pot Bellies is, the CVS, the Target, standing out freezing my butt off for the past two and a half hours in the cold doing live shot after live shot, because Lord knows the producers need five shots of you seeing, saying the exact same thing five times over for it to be good. But it was on the new Raising Canes that's being built in Michigan. And for those of you who don't know, it is a... Sort of a fast food chicken only restaurant. They serve chicken. It's it's like another Chick Fil A in essence, but for some reason people really really like it. It's being built on that corner. They're not exactly sure in what suite and what pavilion, but it's going to be the first one in Michigan. And I have a funny little story about Raisin Cane. So Luke, the guy who I just introduced as my roommate, went there when he went down to Ohio. He's been down to Kentucky a couple times. Vouched for it. So I'm allergic to eggs, milk soy and nuts i'm allergic to a lot but i can go to chick-fil-a i can go to mcdonald's like i've never had problems eating chicken tenders in my life mm-hmm. so we Which go to just, per- yep as I say, just, just means that they're not using egg in their exactly chicken better exactly so we go to purdue because we were broadcast we were broadcasting the football game when msu was eight no and then lost <laughs> Lost to Purdue, and there's the field storming and everything. But the night before we get into town, we see that there's a raisin cane by the hotel we were staying at. And we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and the line's out the door. And we end up getting in about after an hour and a half. And I'm really, really excited because I'm a big meat and potatoes guy. And we get up to the counter, and I'm just, something tells me, maybe I should ask. Maybe I should just make sure there's nothing that I'm allergic to. They bring me back the ingredients of their french fries and their... Chicken tenders, buttermilk, 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 buttermilk. Ooh. Everything's made with buttermilk. And I'm Ooh. like, I stood out here for an hour <laughs> and a half after driving for five and a half hours only to realize I can't even eat a dang thing on your menu. I wanted to throw a chair through the roof. I mean, that has been the first place I've ever been where I can't eat chicken tenders, but apparently people vouch for it and. Say it's really, really good. I know a lot I mean, of people are really excited, so we'll see how it goes. I mean, buttermilk and everything, though. That, like, for me, as somebody who can't eat buttermilk or drink buttermilk, whatever, uh, that sounds delicious. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a huge uh, fast food sort of guy, but I get it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure if they're putting that sort of, I shouldn't say quality, but, you know, ingredient in there, I, I get why people love it. Um, would have been nice if they maybe threw a sign on the door or something for you. Like, <laughs> oh, hey, that just would have been great. Yeah. Information. I think that's a, there's a lot of that though, where, you know, restaurants and businesses don't put a ton of effort into allergy notifications, but you know, that's just a challenge of the people that have, you know, those sort of problems, I guess. Allergy notification in general, um, has always been kind of difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've had friends, you know, that are in- incredibly allergic to, you know what? What be you? Eggs, peanut butter, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of it is just being wary constantly, constantly having an EpiPen ready to go, mm-hmm. constantly kind of worrying and bringing your own snacks everywhere. Eh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nathan has his own with him right now. I actually got two, but yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think um, as far as the new restaurant goes, like. It's one of the things, like, I've lived in Lansing my entire life, for the most part, and uh, 
I've never even heard of this restaurant chain. <laughs> You've said it several times, and I still don't think I could repeat the name back to you right now. Um, so it's, it is an interesting thing that, especially for people that do travel and get to try these, what are basically, you know, just normal everyday foods in other places. It can be kind of interesting when they come by and, you know, generate some excitement. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not a big uh, fast food guy, so I'm sure I wouldn't, wouldn't hit it up. Yeah, I've actually tried it when I was on a road trip down to Florida. I think we tried it in Georgia, one of the southern southern states. Um, and we were really looking forward to it, all of us. It was all of us girls. We were going down to Florida for a trip. Um, and we saw on TikTok, like, people dunking their chicken tenders in the raisin cane sauce, the whole thing, and they would take it all out. We were like, we wanted to do that. So we went, and um, it was not too long a line. I mean, we came not in the peak hour. Um, and, I mean, we ate it, and it was... It was chicken. Like, it was, yeah. it was, you know, it was fine. I think mostly for being in East Lansing, I'm worried for the traffic, especially in a mm. busy, really busy, already really busy intersection with people. If they're going to include a drive through like, where is this drive through line going to go? Um, but I'm sure it'll bring a lot of um, attention into downtown more also. So. Well, one of the people I interviewed was an East Lansing economic specialist, and she said if they're open at 2 a.m. on that corner when you're right by the Riv, when you're right by Hopkin, when you're right by Fieldhouse, like, they will do really, really, really well. I can't imagine Giorgio's would be too happy, but uh, I don't know if they're going to have a drive through. That specific intersection really isn't conducive. It's like a one-way in both directions, so I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Think they would. I know the one in Purdue didn't, but we'll see. They For some reason, Raising Canes does really, really good at college campuses. They really get, they, they have a big one at LSU, big one at Clemson, big one at Cincinnati, so we'll see how it does. It's pretty inexpensive then, probably? It's not too bad, no. Not that I can remember, but I you know, the one time I went in there, I was more mad about not being able to buy anything <laughs> than anything right. else, so I might not be the best source. I'm just ex I'm excited to have more options for late night, even if... I'm not even here when it comes. Um, I think it's always good. Uh, being able to pick and choose can be nice. Mm -hmm, definitely. Okay. So, kind of going on to our last topic of today is a bit more uh, world-focused. But if you'd like to explain. Yeah. Um, so, I just thought maybe we could talk about the sort of ongoing situation in Ukraine, uh, the Russian uh, involvement in Donbass and stuff like that. Uh, I will be writing an editorial about it pretty soon. And uh, I just kind of wanted to get some of the student perspective. Um, so like right now, there's a lot of discussion about the sanctions that are being placed. Um, there's a lot of focus on the banking uh, you mentioned and stuff like that where um, a lot of economic sanctions, but some people are just looking at the situation. And I was like, well, that's not enough. Like, is it is it time for us to just, you know, sever diplomatic relations and that sort of thing? Like how how much of a punishment can we give these people in order to help, and is that even going to make a difference? You know what I mean? People are dying. Like, people are literally being killed right now, and it doesn't seem like they really care about the sanctions. This, this war in particular is, I mean, unprecedented, first of all. But also, I mean, it's, it's in a time when images can spread through the Internet immediately so you're we're we're seeing 
the immediate effects that this has on a population. Mm -hmm. uh, and you see photos of, uh, I was re recently just reading a BBC article, for example, that just had photos from journalists that took there of, of soldiers. And I mean, it's 18 year old kids mm -hmm. fighting Russian 18 year old kids. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's devastating. I mean, these people's lives are completely uprooted mm -hmm. for, Destroyed, if not ended. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. a it's a level of 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 baffling that is still hard to comprehend, mm -hmm. at least for me. Well, and I think, you know, when you look at this objectively, I think there was always a little bit of doubt as to whether Russia was going to go through with it. We knew that they were building up 150,000 troops on the side of Ukraine. You knew that they were... There was rumors it was going to be a three-pronged invasion where they are going to go in from the Black Sea by Crimea and they were going to go in through the northern border by Belarus and they were going to push into the Donbass where the separatists have been, can, have been having a stranglehold for the past several years. But for me, the biggest scary... What's scary is the unknown. It's the fact that a country with arguably the second strongest military and more nuclear warheads than we do is invading mainland Europe. Mm-hmm. And it's invading mainland Europe in a large scale for the first time since World War II. And not to, Ukraine is really, really close to a lot of NATO countries. Romania's right there. Um, Hungary's right there. Poland's right there. Like a lot of these smaller countries, and you think of the Baltic states with Estonia and Lithuania and Latvia. When Putin talks about wanting to rebuild this sort of Soviet mantra and regain Soviet territory... My question is, is he going to stop at Ukraine? Because I, I think most U.S. intelligence people think that he's going to go into Kiev, he's going to overthrow the government, he's going to install a puppet government, but then what happens? They, it's trending on Twitter right now, Finland's considering maybe sort of speeding up the process of joining NATO, and Russia's Ministry of Foreign Affairs just said there would be serious military and political repercussions. So now he's threatening the rest of Europe if they decide to join NATO. So, I mean, th this is serious. It, well, it's bad. And even more scary, it was like just yesterday that China basically came out and made a statement like, you know, they were obviously very intentionally vague, but they had a moment where they pretty much said, like, we sort of support this. Like, you know, and, and I think they framed it very cleverly in support of the separatists who are, you know, ethnic Russians and stuff. But it's one of those challenging situations where it's like you've got two of the world's superpowers squaring up against... You know what I mean? Everybody else, it kind of seems like. But uh, it's a very dangerous situation. And uh, like I said before, it's something tells me that sanctions aren't going to cut it right now. And, you know, I'm a I'm a very strong anti-force on displays of force in any kind of way. I don't really – I would never advocate military invention, intervention. And I, and I really don't want to see anything like that. But, um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I'm not sure these sanctions are going to cut it. And especially when Russia seems to be sort of courting allies and stuff, it's it's becoming an even more dangerous situation that, you know, would probably probably help to resolve it a bit more quickly than it is being done right now. One thing I will say, though, is I don't think you're ever going to – you never know when the time or the sanctions enough or the consequences enough. This mm -hmm. is a thing that you're going to look back 10 or 15 years and say, oh, President Biden should have done this. Oh, Lloyd Austin should have done that. But at the end of the day, there is the very real threat of how far can you go banking-wise before 
you know, I, I think most people are firmly against the idea of boots on the ground. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't have Russians shooting at Americans, and you have two countries that have ninety percent of the world's nuclear arsenal trying to blow each other up. Well, I mean, you—that's you World War Three. You yes. literally couldn't. You could not have Russian and American troops shooting at each other because what do you do? Like, there's no all hell next breaks loose. Step. And that I, I mean, you've got you've got your nuclear arsenal, you know, and there's no next. Step. And you know that, it, and you know that if Russia's firing at us, China probably comes to their side, and then America's got. Mm-hmm. France and Canada and England, and then all hell breaks loose, and you got another European theater, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't think it could come to that. I really don't Neither think do the sort of, well, I mean, you know, the, the mutually assured destruction and the sort of geopolitics of the modern era kind of prevent that sort of a scale. But uh, as we get closer and closer to it, it all it takes is one crackpot to push the push the issue too far and... Even though nobody wants that sort of large-scale issue, it can quickly evolve into it. Just one assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Yeah, there you go. Put it over the edge. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's so tough, and and I and it's it all seems like it it could have been resolved. You know what I mean? I understand the 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 pressure being placed by the separatists and stuff, but it 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 becomes a situation where I'm like, people, there is no issue that couldn't have been resolved that people need to die for. You know what I mean? Nobody nobody needs to kill anybody for anything. It doesn't really seem like the solution that we should be employing ever. All right. Well, I want to thank all of you for joining me today and talking about all of these issues, ranging in uh, severity quite mm-hmm. substantially. Yeah, I liked the roommate story. That was nice and easy to talk about. <laughs> um, but overall... Um, Uh, I appreciate you all being here, and I appreciate our listeners for tuning in. And for all of you, I would just like to say that you've been listening to The Roundup on WDBM 89 FM.